Hello, everybody. Melissa Simonson here with Amaze on Stream, and I am super excited today to have the amazing, the fabulous, the very well-known Kevin King joining me. Thank you so much for joining me, Kevin. I'm glad to be here, Melissa. Of course. <laughs> So I'm super excited about this because a lot of people know about you. They might know of you and they might even have seen you at events. You always have sort of like a, a gaggle of e-commerce, you know, people around you who also want to, you know, know everything that you know. Um, I, I am excited today to kind of dive in about you as a person, like how you grew up, how, how your environment, your parents, your family, friends influenced who you are today. Um, so if you're ready, we'll dive right in. Sure, let's do it. Okay. Oh, we got a little while. <laughs> this is going to be a three hour long podcast. That's right. Part one, part two, part three, part four. <laughs> okay. So, well, I, I want to start with, you know, like when you were growing up, were, were your parents actually, um, were your parents entrepreneurs or were they, what did they do? Uh, no, my, my dad worked for the government. My mom was a school teacher and worked for American Airlines. So, uh, no, they're very, my father was very conservative, uh, very much a punch of clock kind of guy, take no risk, still is. My mom had a little bit of entrepreneurial blood in her, but she never really did anything. Uh, my dad would always uh, squelch that. Yeah. No, I, I had uh, no no true entrepreneurs in, really in my family at all. So, and do you, you have siblings and they're not entrepreneurial? No, not at all. I have one younger brother and he's not, a, no, he's happy working a, a nine to five job and doesn't want to be bothered after five o'clock and uh, <laughs> happy uh, the way, way it is and just doesn't want to take that risk. Yeah, so not, not the entrepreneur. It has a lot, it can have a lot of ups and downs. And uh, so that's not for everybody for sure. That's hundred percent. I was just going to say, that doesn't sound like the entrepreneurial roller coaster that we're aware of. <laughs> so, um, okay. So you're growing up. What, at what point was it that you started to kind of recognize that you were, steering the ship a little bit where was that sort of pivot point for you where you wanted to take control of things or um, did you have regular jobs first no I've never I've, actually to this day I've never I've never made a resume I think I made one in college because you had to learn how to or something <laughs> in class. I've never sent resumes out I've never worked for anybody else I worked two jobs uh, I'm 54 right now so in my life I've had two jobs for a, what do you feel what's that called a w-2 would you fill out yes a w-2 uh, <laughs> what's that called I love that you said that I, I worked at McDonald's and I delivered pizzas yeah uh, and that that's it that's the only time I've ever gotten a, a, a paycheck from somebody else in my entire life I started selling things when I was three years old oh my goodness go down the street and uh, uh pick up bubble gum from a local store like a, a supermarket I'd buy the gum for a penny little you know bubble gum that had little cartoons or something on the side but right. I'll sell that or not now and sell that for like two cents uh, to the neighborhood kids and I would take my mom's empty oatmeal uh canisters like uh, cardboard canisters mm -hmm. and I would glue the top of it and and find some sticks and sell it like a drum because if you bang the top of it it's hollow you know and sound like a little drum that's up a little store um <laughs> you know we'd have when I think when I was three or four years old, it's, uh, parents invite some people over to hang out in the backyard, and I set up a lemonade stand to sell lemonade for a nickel to everybody that was there. Uh, so I've, I've always had an entrepreneur spirit. I've been trying to make money since, since I was walking, basically. So knowing this about yourself and like always having ideas and like seeing opportunities, did you, you went to college then? Because you said you took a class, uh, a resume yeah. class? Yeah, I graduated from Texas A&M University with a degree in business. So I, I did go to college, but when I graduated, uh, I never, I, I ended up 
after graduation, I, I went and lived on some friend's uh, couch for a year. Uh, literally slept on slept on the couch in the living room. I had this five guys in a house. Uh, I, college, Texas A&M's in College Station, which is about an hour and a half from Austin. And one of my old high school buddies was living in Austin. So I came over to Austin. He was still in school, finishing school. And uh, I lived on their, slept on their couch and sold t-shirts on the University of Texas campus uh, for um, about a year. And then took, did, after that, we took those t-shirts and actually sold them, uh, uh, hit the road and, and sold them to surf shops and stuff all throughout the uh, Texas, Louisiana, all the way to Florida. So you know, I've, I've done, done a lot of things. I mean, as a young child, I would pick up, my dad would take me uh, to pick up aluminum cans on the side of the road. So I figured out, yeah, I passed a sign one time said 17 cents a pound for aluminum cans or something. I'm like, dad, I can make some money. Uh, so <laughs> he would, he would take a book and he would take me out to some country road and, and drop me off at the bottom of the hill. And he'd go to the top of the hill and park on the side of the road and make sure he could see me, you know, back in the rearview mirror or whatever. And I would just, I'd be like one of those, those guys you see sometimes with the orange shirts or whatever, um, out there with a stick, picking up cans that people would throw out the car window, come back <laughs> with a couple of trash can, trash bag full of cans, stick them in the trunk and we'd take them over and I'd get my $4 and 20 cents or whatever it was. Um, and, uh, uh, no, I, I mowed yards. I did. I, I, I used to do my own little top 10 list in, in, high, in middle school. Casey Kasem, I think, had like top 40 back down the radio. Um, and I, I'd get Billboard magazine and I would, I would say, here's my top 20 albums. Uh, and I would take it and put a little, make a little newsletter, take it to school and say, anybody want one of these albums? I'll get it for you. And so if some kid wanted an album or I think the set tapes were coming around at that time. Uh, this is before CDs. <clears throat> and I would have my mom take me on Tuesdays to a record store about 30 miles away from where we lived. And I would buy whatever the orders were, two or three, four or five albums or whatever, bring them back to school the next day and sell them to everybody that, that placed their order. So yeah, I did all kinds of stuff. So creative. Like the, the ideas here are blowing my mind for the ways that you're coming up with making money. And it's funny because like, I actually, my kids, they come up with all sorts of ways to make money, but this is usually what they say to me. Mom, can we have a garage sale and sell all of these things? And they're pointing at like my <laughs> stuff. <laughs> uh -huh. I'm like, um, we're not selling my stuff, but we'll sell all your toys if you keep going like that. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's very creative though, the the way that you're able to, to, to see things. I think it's a creative mind that is able to look at things from that type of perspective that is a little different than most people. It's a little different. Yeah, my dad's always said, I can smell a nickel from a mile away. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of true, but yeah, I've oh. always, been, I've always been good. You know, I, I've, I've been, it, I've really never lived under a budget. My parents tried, I was making so much money as a child when I was 12, 13 years old. My, my parents, I had every video game, you know, this is before the Nintendos and Playstations. This is back when you had little handheld video games and they're 30, 40 bucks a piece for a little, you know, basic video game. Um, and I had like all the latest games. And all my friends, you know, I was popular with all my friends and my parents were like, you're just making too much money. A 12 year old making hundred dollars a week is, or whatever I was making, it's just too much. So they made me save half. So every time I come back from mowing a yard uh, and have my six bucks or whatever I charged back then, they'd say, give us three and they put it away. And they ended up giving that back to me when I was in college as my spending money. So they gave me an allowance, quote, quote, quote unquote, an allowance uh, when I was in college of like hundred dollars a week or $200 a week, whatever it was. And that was that money that they had forced me to save. That's incredible I, that you had spending money in college from your like 
preteen days. That, that yeah. is incredible. Um, okay, so now you're in college and this takes you to what, your mid twenties. Um, and then where did you go from there? How did you kind of- Early, early twenties. I did stuff in college too. I mean, I was, I taught classes in college. I, there was a class called Banna 217 uh, that every sophomore student at Texas A&M in the business school had to take. And they had to learn the basic computing language. I don't think they even teach that anymore, but this is before uh, C++ and all the stuff that everything's done in now. And it was kind of a weed out class and about a thousand people probably took this class from four different professors. But for whatever reason, the professors did the tests all on the same day. So they organized the test to be on three times during the semester. And I would uh, get a list of all the kids taking this class through a, there's a, a something called the Sunshine Act in Texas where at public institution, the data that is publicly available. So I'd go to the office of the registrar and begin the semester and say, look, under Sunshine Act section 17.3 of the Texas constitution or whatever it is, I demand that you give me a list of all the students and their addresses taking this class. Uh, and they would have to do it. I, and I say, well, I want, I don't want to print out, I want them on labels, ma mailing labels. And so for two cents a piece or whatever it was back then, they, you know, for 30 bucks, I get them all in these mailing labels. And oh, I, would mail, I would mail out a brochure saying, hey, uh, I know once they get put the syllabus out for the class and say that uh, on these three dates, whatever it was, uh, the semester, come to the college station Hilton at this time, there's one at six o'clock or nine o'clock. It's 15 bucks and I'll teach you everything you need to know to, to pass the test on basic computing language. And I would get half the people, I get 500 people uh, that would that would come and, and, and do that. Uh, that is crazy. I, I would be up there for two or three hours just teaching them like, here's how, here's what you need to know. Here's what your teachers aren't teaching you. Here's how to memorize the steps and, and whatever. And it pissed off the teachers. They ended up after, I did that for three years and they finally, they changed the, the way they were doing it, but they were getting upset. They were bad mouthing me, don't go. But everybody kept coming back because it was helping. Uh, so, so uh, yeah, I, I, I did, I did it. I, I'm surprised to hear that any kind of studying ahead of a test is, is not something teachers are in favor of. Well, I think it made them look bad because so many people were going, they, they felt embarrassed. Like, why are they having to go to this guy and pay him 15 bucks? We're, right. We must not be doing our job, yeah. that, kind of, that, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah, and I, I did a bunch of other stuff in college too. I mean, we, I used to, I took a class, uh, it wasn't part of the school, but it was like an extracurricular like class of how to bartend. And when you take those bartending classes, you, you use water basically in the, in the alcohol bottles. There's not real alcohol. And I was like, I want to know what this stuff tastes like. So I had the money. So I went out and I, I bought, you know, 30 different liquors or whatever, and all the mixers and, and got a little bar, uh, one of those little portable bars for our, our apartment. And, you know, obviously if you're 21 years old and you have a full bar, you become the popular place for all your friends to come. So everybody's coming and drinking for free, basically. I'm mixing different things and having fun. And oh my goodness. We actually made a sign called the Yushu's Bar and Grill. And it, it, <laughs> it got to the point where I was like, you know what? I'm going to actually start charging people for this. Yeah. So this is when the Apple II computer, this is before the iMacs and all that Apple II computer. My mom had an old, uh, old one, she gave it to me. And I programmed in there because I know the basic computing language. I programmed a little bartending software that would keep track. Of, it had all the recipes. It would keep a bar tab for everybody. So we had that sitting on the bar and you come up and, hey, I want a hurricane. I want a rum and Coke and I want a uh, Virgin Mary. But I got, all right, John, I'm putting this in your tab. And it was basically a cost. And then every week or two, I'd say, hey, uh, Melissa, you owe me six bucks uh, or whatever, if you're going to keep drinking here. And I then I 
took that software and I actually manufactured a little floppy disk and I put it advertised in the back of computer world and some PC magazines and different like stuff like that and started selling it uh, to other people uh, and was using the school computers to make my instruction manuals and got in trouble for that. And oh no. <laughs> Yeah, I've been I've been selling things and creating things for a long time. What I want to know about this trouble you got into. So was this because you're like creating something that was for sale, but it was on like school? Well, one it was alcohol related. Oh, and right. And and I was using their computers instead of like I was using their laser printers because this is when laser printers for like to buy one was like three or four grand. I remember right. I bought my first laser printer. I had to drive from College Station to Austin wow. to some computer place. This is before computer stores. I mean, get it from some guy for like $4,000 for a basic late black and white laser printer. And so it was expensive. And then to make copies, so I was just basically using their laser printers to print out my instruction manuals. You know, these are 16 page little fold in half, eight and a half by 11 fold in half books. And they got mad about that. So I, uh, using school resources for my own personal gain. So I got called into the dean's office and said, if you do this again, we're going to suspend you. Right. So it's, it seems like this is sort of a common theme that you're like, let's push the limits and see what happens. And then something happens and then you move on to the next thing. It, it is, it's very common. Yep. <laughs> I do. I do push the limits and I figure out how to, to do things in an efficient way. Yeah. Uh, how to cut steps out, how to, how to, how to do things as efficiently and as profitably as possible and as fast as possible to be able to scale it, even if you're one person. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's clearly apparent in, you know, your business in you know, the way you run your events and stuff like that. Um, so, okay, so now I want to know about what what came next after um, college. Did you have like, did you have any ideas about getting jobs or did you already know that like you had no interest in that and you wanted to start something of your own? No, I had no interest in that. Uh, my mom was working at the time for American Airlines, so I could fly anywhere in the world that American went for free. We had little booklets. This is before uh, the internet really, and you had just show up at the airport and, and write in where you want to go. And as long as there was a seat on the plane, you would go. This is back in the day where yeah, now airplanes they they're load. It's called load management. They they have ninety five to hundred percent full seats on most planes now. They've gotten really good at filling those seats. Back then they weren't so good. It's seventy percent full most of the time, so you could oftentimes get a seat. So I I was using that to fly all over the U S. I wanted to start a club. I wanted to start a bar. Um, uh, actually a strip club is what I wanted to do um, <clears throat> because I I had gone to uh, Hawaii on one of my mom's passes to watch Texas A&M play football. They were playing a game out there. I was like, that's a good excuse to go to Hawaii. I've never been on the, uh, on the day I was coming home. I had a bunch of extra time. I went by myself. So I happened to, I was walking down the street in the middle of the afternoon and walked into this place called Pure Platinum, which is, turns out is a strip club. And I'd, and I was like the only guy in there. And so I was just sitting there and just talking to the girls. She's, they had videos playing of this guy on a yacht cruising around Miami with like 30 hot women. Uh, they were just shooting a calendar. I was like, that looks cool. I could do that. Uh, and I was talking to this girl and I didn't get dances or anything. I didn't have any money. I was just basically drinking a Coke or something, killing time. And she's like, yeah, we have dental insurance and we have this. I was like, no, nah, this strip clubs are seedy little places. They, they don't have that kind of stuff. And I while I left, I, I got this videotape, a video a VHS tape of this that was showing, uh, you know, this making of their calendar. Watched it when I got back. I was like, this is cool. So I started researching that business and actually traveled all over the U.S. visiting 
places purely as research. I would go to Atlanta and go to the library before the internet again, and I would pull every article off the microfilm <clears throat> about all the clubs, about the liquor business, about everything for those for that city. And then I'd go visit a couple of the places and I'd take notes. I wasn't there to to <clears throat> party or have fun or drink. I was like taking notes. Okay, the setup is like this. The DJ booth is over here. They have a food menu. This is what everything. <clears throat> and, right. and then I put together a business plan, like a hundred page business plan. Tried, I was 23, tried to raise the money and it didn't work. Um, I, I just, nobody wanted to give money to 23, I needed 3 million bucks because I want to do like a really nice, this is right when the time that clubs were coming from the CD business to having filet mignons for lunch. And they're really trying to up their game, marble floors and doubt. There's one in Dallas called Cabaret Royale, I think was the name of it. <clears throat> and it had like marble floors and like it was, you know, the, the girls lock the girls uh, changing room was like a spa locker room. It was just really nice. And so wow. um, I wanted to create something like that and I couldn't uh, couldn't raise the money. I even put out ads in the local Austin newspaper saying I'm hiring <clears throat> now hiring for this new club uh, coming soon. I got all these I was doing it for research. I got all these applications and then I called the people. Hey, so tell me about uh, this or you're a manager. And I hooked up with one of the managers that was pouring one of the local clubs and we became friends and we tried to raise the money. I couldn't do it, but that evolved into a magazine. So I had not, not a nude magazine. It was a business magazine for the industry called a uh, uh, gentleman's club. And it basically profiled the entire industry. No nudity. It had a profile picture. It had pictures of dancers and stuff in there, uh, <clears throat> but it had no nudity. It wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a playboy or anything like that. And I uh, sold ads in there and, that got me in introduction. It's kind of like if you start a podcast, it's a way you get to meet all the other people in the industry and you get to make connections and extend your network. So a lot of people say create a podcast. Uh, back then that, that didn't exist. So it's create a magazine uh, for the industry. So you get to meet everybody. Uh, and then that just evolved into doing uh, little baseball cards and calendars and a bunch of other stuff. And eventually uh, a website. Uh, we did coffee table magazines. Uh, we did ended up doing a lot of television programming, uh, ended up doing stuff for the Playboy channel for pay-per-view, not porn. This is not porno stuff. I mean, some people watching may think, oh, that's not porn. Uh, but, um, and that, that took off and did really well for a while. That's amazing. Just to, to come up with an idea and see, this is, I think, a really excellent, um, example of when you have to pivot right you had a, a particular idea and you presumably did a lot of work you had your business plan you're going around trying to get funding and stuff and i would say i mean for that amount is is already difficult and then your your tender age at that time i think um probably most people are not at the level that you were at where you were selling from the time you were three years old so i i imagine people um shut the door pretty hard at first yeah, for, was, uh, was, but i mean as, as i had all this research so to get publicity, I was like, I didn't have any money. I had no money, no investors. Right. I, I, I was like, I need to do something. What can I do? So I had all this research from all these different cities. I'm like, I'm going to analyze these liquor reports because you could get liquor reports like from the state liquor associations, like how much is a club making? And, you know, say this club does 200 because they have to report it for sales tax purposes. So that this club is making $200,000 a month in liquor sales. So I added all those up for all this data I had from all the US and came up with like, okay, this is a $3 billion a year industry in liquor. The top clubs uh, in Dallas is number one in the country. Atlanta's number two. And I forget, you know, what Miami's number three, whatever it was. So I made like a top 10 list. And then I put out a little press release. And this is back with, uh, I think I put it on PR Newswire. 
uh, or I think that's what it was back then. And then I, I faxed it. And, and within hours of doing that, you know, I was like 23, 24 years old, sitting in my little one bedroom apartment in Austin with no money. Uh, I got a call from Entertainment Tonight. Uh, and Entertainment Tonight, um, uh, this is back when it was big, you know, this is before cable TV. This was like at 6.30 every night. People watch, you know, millions of, 10 million people watch the show or something. And they came out and interviewed me in my apartment. Uh, and then that Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, uh, Robin Leach, oh my gosh. they flew me to California to interview me. And I'm like this guy that I didn't have two nickels to rub together, but I'm <laughs> Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous as the expert in the industry. I, I got on the front page of New York, the New York Times, USA wow. Today, Red Book, Vogue did stories. It, it all, I was like the, the expert in the state. <laughs> and as a result of that, I had somebody in Detroit see me and call me up and said, hey, I want to hire you as a consultant. And I'm like, I'm sure you're going to pay me. And he's like, yeah, I'll fly you to New York. I mean, to, to Detroit and I want you to go around. I'm thinking about opening a club. So I go up there and see this guy. He flies, pays for everything. Turns out he's a, he's a, he, had, he was in the carpet business, uh, which is uh, also known as back then was what the mafia was in, the Detroit mafia. Turned out to be Detroit mafia. Um, seriously. <clears throat> and and you're blowing he, my mind right now. And he, he actually, uh, <laughs> as Detroit Mafia, he's like, he had a big cocaine problem. Um, but I didn't know this at the time when I went and drove around with him, giving him some advice and stuff. And he said, hey, how can I help you out? I said, well, I'm starting up this <clears throat> magazine. You know, <clears throat> I'm looking for investors. He's like, how much do you need? It's like, um, like 10 grand. He's like, wrote me a check on the spot. Here, here's 10 grand. Oh like, my oh. gosh, that's crazy. Back then, 10 grand was a lot of freaking money to me. Yeah. And I was like, holy cow. And I was living in Arizona at the time. And uh, I went back and then like three weeks later, he calls me up and says, hey, I'm coming to Arizona. I'm like, all right, cool. He's like, no, I'm, I'm coming there. I'm going to stay in a hotel. He rented out some fancy hotel. <clears throat> he ended up staying almost a year in this hotel. And he wanted to oversee his investment. And he wanted to make, he had ideas like there's going to be perks if a girl's going to be on the cover. You know, you got to do, I'm like, I don't want any part of that, any of that kind of stuff. Um, he had a cocaine problem. Um, and there's times I remember what we'd have a meeting, someone flying to meet him and the guys had these remote starters on their car so that you're walking out of the restaurant and you'd be a hundred feet away from the car and they'd start their car to make sure it wouldn't blow up because they're oh guys for those kind of things that I got threatened several times. Like, um, I finally said, I, enough of this, I got to get out of this situation. Uh, he started yeah. accusing me of stuff. And I remember when I tried to move out of Arizona back, I had a U-Haul. He sent two guys to break my legs, literally. No. I had to call the police to move out and scarred my U-Haul and <gasps> escort me out of Arizona, make sure the guy, these guys didn't follow me. It got bad. And then on the way back, I got arrested and ended up in jail in some little town in West Texas because I had an outstanding traffic ticket <sighs> from college that I hadn't paid. So when I came through I-10 in Texas, um, I was going, or I-20, I think it was, I was going to uh, 10 miles over the speed limit, five or 10 miles over the speed limit, some little podunk town. The guy pulled me over. Oh, you got a, a warrant for a two years old traffic ticket. Took me to this little jail for like four days and my dad wouldn't bail me out. He's like, there's a thousand dollars bail. I didn't have the money. Um, and he's like, I called him up. He's like, nope, you can sit and rot. The only way I'll bail you out is if uh, you agree to come home and get a real job. You got to come home, oh. get a real job. You can go work at Brahms ice cream shop or something until you can find a job, but that I'll help you out. It's like, no, nah, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, and 
so I had to call an uncle and his uncle gave me a credit card or whatever to pay the post the little little bond money. Um, yeah. And my mom ended up coming get getting to me. Um, but yeah, so that's, I stood my ground like, nope, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I don't care. I don't need your help. I'm not going to do what yeah. you said. That's some serious pressure. Like I know there's a lot of entrepreneurs that deal with like sort of the or like the judgy or like the, you know, just kind of, oh, I hope they, I hope everything works out for them. You know, like the, the well-wishing, like there's a lot of forms that, um, that it takes when people don't think you're making the right choice, but that is a fairly direct message from your dad. Yeah, he definitely <laughs> did not want me. He wanted me, his dream was always to have me go work some corporate job and work my way up the ladder. Right. I'm sure he could see how smart you were and he saw potential, but in, in sort of the, the way that he knew what success looked like uh, for his life. Yeah. And he was all, it was hard for him to, you're with your friends. Oh, what's your son up to? Oh, he's, yeah, he didn't want to say, you know, starting a, trying to start a club or he's got this magazine or he's doing this. It is embarrassing. Uh, I I didn't have insurance. You know, I didn't have health insurance. I didn't have all this, you know, I didn't have a a 401k. I didn't have, so he was like, you're just wasting yourself. Mm. But now he's changed his tune. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I imagine so. <laughs> okay, so now you're, the mafia's after you. You get arrested. It didn't end there. The mafia didn't end there. I mean, I ended up um, the, the photographer that was doing a lot of stuff for us, which is you know, you know, and Mark Don. Yes. Um, he was doing a lot of stuff for us, and we had done a photo shoot, uh, or Mark and I teamed up, and this mafia guy didn't like that. So he would send uh, Guidos here to Austin to, for uh, about a year. We had to watch our back. He threatened to blow up a plane we were on. Uh, he, yeah, it was it was bad for a while. I am like, I am speechless. This it's not a good thing for the host to be. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is crazy. So oh my gosh, the the mafia was after you. You end up in jail. You get. I, I got threatened by I got threatened by Michael Jordan, the basketball star. No. Uh, yeah, I've got. I mean, I've. I, we, we need were, to dive in a little bit deeper there. <laughs> when when Mark and I teamed up after this whole thing, this mafia guy, we bought something called the USA Calendar Girls from this guy. He he was right. he had a group of girls, like four girls that were it's choreographed. It's like a Las Vegas show, right. and they they were getting hired in uh, clubs to be the headline act at a club for a week. And so we bought the set from him and we changed out all four girls. We recruited a, a, a guy from the Dominican Republic, a choreographer to come in, teach them this cool routine. We put them in really nice costumes. And then they, we had an agent in Florida and he would actually book them into strip clubs basically, but they would be the headline act. And so these clubs would put us up on the bill, on the mannequin, on the, on the, on the marquee, you know, now featuring the USA calendar girls shows at six and 10 tonight or whatever. They would pay for us to, to come into town and do these shows they get put up put us up in a hotel <coughs> excuse me put us up in a hotel we come and do two shows they pay us a flat fee they, the girls can make a little bit of tips and then we created merchandise and that's how it evolved like the trading cards eight by tens the magazines and wow. uh, all that and we created really nice stuff uh, like collectible level stuff uh, and that's that's my background in the product stuff is you know i was doing stuff in korea and other places were making stuff with 24 karat gold and Wow. Really nice folders, and it's not just cheap. You know, some of these cards sold for fifty dollars a piece because mm-hmm. they were collector's items. Uh, and uh, so we started doing that, and we literally uh, got a fifteen-passenger van, uh, took out all the back seats, put a mattress back there, 
and I was the driver and the DJ. So we drove, I had four girls in the back, uh, you know, sleeping basically. Uh, we'd drive from Austin to Allentown, Pennsylvania, to the, wow. from Allentown, Pennsylvania, down to uh, North Carolina, and then North Carolina to Arizona, and spend a week in each of these locations. And I would be the DJ guy announcing them during the shows, the manager, the driver, um, bodyguard, bodyguard, <laughs> everything. Yeah, we were, and then we were in uh, Pennsylvania. We were in, in uh, Philadelphia, I think, doing, and we had some off time, so we went over to New Jersey to Atlantic City, and. Uh, um yeah there, there was a I don't want, really want to tell the story here publicly I don't want, <laughs> we had an encounter with a we had an encounter with a with with uh with with Michael Jordan um and uh, he liked he happened to take an affection to one of the girls and uh I basically was the guy that uh blocked anything from happening uh, and this was right. right before he retired the first time it was 1993 right before he retired first time and uh and I got threatened that if, uh, uh, yeah, it was, yeah. It was uh, by his people, uh, you know, that, hey, this is to stay quiet. So, so I don't want to talk too much about it, but yeah, yeah we'll, uh, we'll leave it there. But yeah, um, we'll, leave, we'll leave it there. <laughs> I, like, I'm just, I, in my head right now, I'm trying to think like, okay, what am I going to put as the caption for this podcast? Mafia jail time, Michael Jordan. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll think of that later. Oh, I can give you another one. We had another time we were shoot, doing a photo shoot in a Dallas and we had this model um, who Mark had this idea to, this is right around the time that the computers were able to do green screen. You know, your own desktop computer could do screen, yeah. green screen. You need some Hollywood computer. And there's a software tool called Bryce that would make these alternative worlds. It was pretty cool. You could make these like, like really cool alternative worlds. And he wanted to do this shoot with a, a model dressed as a tiger. Uh, painted as a tiger we knew a body painter in dallas a really good airbrush painter so you know the model would go stand naked in front of him and he would paint her from head to toe to look like a tiger really cool wow. art and yeah. leroy, name's leroy roper really good and he that was his his deal was making women look like animals and stuff um and it's cool and so then we brought in a real tiger to actually pose with her and well, the real tiger ended up attacking her on the set <gasps> Um, and uh, dragging her by the foot 25 yards across the set with its her foot in its mouth and so I could tell you a whole story there that that's yeah so sometimes oh Melissa the next time we see each other you buy me a drink and I'll tell you the real I'll tell you the full stories yeah so I know we only have 30 minutes or whatever right here that's why I said you have part one, part two, part three, part four. Like, and we, can keep, we can keep going i mean i've got i've lived yeah I, we're definitely not stopping there so, <laughs> so we're, we're got, no, i imagine that led to uh some fond thoughts of liability insurance when um the tiger dragged well, the she, poor yeah, girl she had signed releases we had releases right. signed and everything but and she ended up suing uh you know we took her to the hospital we flew her and her parents um right. and she ended up suing but she ended up losing yeah, because they're uh, like, we, our lawyers uh, found some case law based around some sort of traveling circus that he's able to get the entire thing dismissed. Mm. So yeah, it never ended up costing us other than a, a little bit of legal fees. Yeah, luckily, but every time after that, for about three years, I couldn't go to Exxon to get gas because I'd go to Exxon and you're standing there pumping your gas and you see the tiger on the on the <laughs> side of you know the, their logo and I'm like, no, no, I don't want. Oh no, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not after that. 
it was a pretty shocking i mean i almost fainted when it happened I mean, it was pretty shocking yeah well i so how did it stop like who who jumped in or how did, did the... on its mouth oh my gosh well see this this tiger was sitting next to the model she had a sword and she's painted head to toe like a tiger and she's yeah. on the set it's a green screen set so everything's painted green screen behind her and the tiger was laying uh they had that chains uh the two trainers it was a trained tiger this tiger had done like uh car commercials and other stuff is it, it was an acting an acting tiger right uh, but tigers are animals are wild and all mm -hmm. animals are wild animals and they had their instincts and so it didn't do anything maliciously it just was laying behind her and they had the trainers had to chain uh and that we we're going to take that out you know in photoshop later and uh, the model just kind of lifted her leg a little bit, just lifted her foot just to kind of get positioning. When she did, the tiger saw that as like a toy and like uh. put its mouth and, and, but didn't bite, just put it just like, uh -huh. just like, you know, put its mouth on her foot in its mouth. But when it did that, it freaked her out. So she yeah. screamed. And when she screamed, it freaked the tiger out. So it bit right. down. Yeah. And she tried to, and then tried to pull away so then it pulled and it pulled her and the two trainers all the way across the studio oh my eating on its mouth incredible i i uh, incredible story so did you keep doing like the photography stuff after that or did you kind of lose your taste for it for a while <laughs> no we, we kept doing it you kept not doing with, it not with, not with animals though right right that enough. makes sense well actually <laughs> we did we did one other time with animals in vegas and Pahrump at this place and uh we had a wolf Mark's like, oh, it's not going to be as bad as a tiger. Okay. <laughs> and he had an owl that sat on a girl's, like kind of like a Harry Potter or something like that, sat on a girl's shoulder and the owl kind of dug its nails into her shoulder. That wasn't, yeah. that kind of sucked. But the worst one was a wolf was kind of the same idea next to the girl. She's like a warrior, you know, and he had these yeah. concepts that do these cool fashion shoots and stuff and had a little wolf. Uh, next to her but the girl didn't tell us it was it, it she was menstruating oh no the wolf smelled blood <sighs> and that caused a problem luckily nobody yeah, I mean, that's, it's not but something you would typically not. volunteer right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or ask something about you don't usually volunteer and don't want to say but um yeah <laughs> that caused a problem yeah i i imagine so wow Okay, I'm, I, we were gonna have to do a part two for sure because I mean, like, we're only in like your what, late thirties at this point, or I mean, like, uh, oh, this is twenties. Uh, twenties, yeah. So yeah. we're we're gonna need to start with your thirties <laughs> next time, and uh, and carry on from there because I mean, I I want to kind of get from you know all of this stuff, this amazing like texture to your life that has added you know character experience and so much more living than so many people i know have done and then see how that kind of transitioned to where you are today so if you're up for it i would love to do another sure. another yeah, we, we, <laughs> to be continued to be continued thank you guys so much for joining us on amaze on stream today and stay tuned for an announcement for the part two of the kevin king podcast thank you again kevin for showing up today and telling us your story i'm glad to be here thanks Melissa. thank you